So John was stuck on the island of Patmos all by himself, away from everyone he ever knew. Sometimes in our spiritual experiences, it feels like we're stuck on an island and God is away from us. Find out what God has to say to John in the book of Revelation. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Welcome to the second episode on this series on Revelation. If you missed our first episode, you're going to want to go back to the archives and, and see episode one. So it sets us up for episode two. In this episode, we're in chapter, we're still in chapter one, and we're going to look at verses nine through where will we get tired, uh, but we're going to really get into this chapter. So let's have a word of prayer. And Callie, uh, you're going to read the Bible verse for us, but Sebastian, you're going to pray for us. Absolutely. Let's pray. Our Father, we have all experienced what it's like to feel that God is far from us and sometimes, Lord, to suffer for what is right. And so, Lord, we pray that as we open the Word of God today, that you would guide us and you would provide us with that same comfort that you provided to John so many hundreds of years ago. Amen. Bless us, Lord, with understanding and be with the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we read verse 9 through 11 there? Yes. Verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Thanks. So verses 9 through 11, Jared, like what's going on here? I think we're going to emphasize a little bit about the experience of John. I think, I think we're sometimes getting impatient. We want to get to the, to the, part, the monsters, the, the, the monsters <laughs> and, and all that part. But, yes. But the existential component, the background, the experience of John, is so crucial to the beginning of this book. So, sure. Jared, what's going on here? Yeah, John, this is this is the John the Beloved. This mm-hmm. is the John that Jesus called from being, you know, mm. a fisherman, blue-collar occupation. He heard the voice of Jesus calling to him, and he followed Jesus. For three and a half years, he was one of Jesus' compatriots mm-hmm. and saw all of the miracles and everything else leading up to the crucifixion. And Jesus ascended, and after that, as the church began to grow, and experiencing persecution, mm-hmm. um, John was one of those dudes that they just couldn't kill. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah I want to be one of those guys. They, yeah. they threw him in a, in a pot of oil, and he came out unscathed and unburned. And... So they said, "We're going to send this dude out to this desert island right. out in the middle of the Aegean Sea and yeah. just leave him there on this like you know penal colony." Yeah. Jokes on Which them. you know, like according to Christian tradition, I mean, he was the gospel, the, the, the disciple of love, the apostle right. of love, and they said that you know, there's these accounts where he would just go around like love each other, love each other, love. And if you read his his letters, it's like beloved this and beloved that and love this and love that. And the guy who's so full of love, mm. you put him on an island all by himself. Like, what's, what, describe the experience, uh, well, Sebastian. I think why why you, is that so crucial here? Well, I think that's, that's critical because the Bible, you know, gives you the framing of revelation wasn't just something that was for the ages or just to have a prophecy. Mm. Like God says, I'm going to call you to be a prophet. I'm going to give you this vision. But it's interesting how through 
him doing what Jesus was calling him to do, he came into this contact with Christ who he had not seen for, what, 50 or more years. Mm -hmm. And so you see that even as he's delivering the vision of Revelation, he himself is being comforted mm -hmm. in his persecution, that what he's been believing and suffering for all these years is real. It's legit. It's official. Like, I'm not out of my mind. And you can think older people kind of can become a little bit cynical, right? Say, you know, I've lived my life. I've done all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, things come into focus for you. Like, this is what's really important. And I think for John, he's in a situation where you're all alone. He's by himself on this island. He hasn't seen Jesus in who knows how long. He's the only one left. And it's kind of like, man, is this thing real? And Jesus understands that I have to give this revelation and I'm going to give it to John. Mm -hmm. Of all people he could have given it to, mm -hmm. who were Christians at that time, to comfort him and give him assurance mm -hmm. that the Lord was near. Yeah, he's, he's experiencing some suffering here on this island, and I don't care how much of an introvert that, that some of us <laughs> may think we are. Like, you know, I, mean, I think for an extrovert, just to be by themselves for five minutes would be, would be painful. Torture. But uh, yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm an introvert, right? Sebastian, you're definitely an extrovert, right? I'm not an extrovert, You're not Justin. an extrovert? Justin. Uh, Jared, you're, you're an extrovert? <laughs> I'm, yeah, like a 10 on a scale you're, of you're a 10. 10 on the okay. extroversion. Oh, wow. Really? Wow. I didn't know it's that. Pretty, it's that's, that's heavy. Yeah. So you could not handle being on Patmos. I couldn't handle it being on Patmos. No, there have been times where I need to get away, I need to clear my head, so I'll go camping by myself and okay. like I just get and the itch back. and I start <laughs> talking to squirrels. And, you know, it's not right. It's pretty bad. Is that yeah. right? Okay. Cal, are you an extrovert? Introvert? I am extremely introverted. I'm just loud. But I'm introverted. You're introverted. Yeah. So you're like a loud introvert? I feel like that's an oxymoron. Bro, you are the definition of a loud introvert anyways. So regardless of whether you're introverted or extroverted, being alone for, and I don't really know how long he was on this island for, but it was for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And he's yearning. So this message, and then now well, it sets us up for the, the seven churches, and there's some parts to get before that, but it, it, there's a message here to those who are lonely, to those who are suffering, to those who are who feel rejected, uh, uh, isolated. And, and also people who are, John says there in verse 9, he says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a sense that if you are in tribulation, John is your brother, right? He's a person who's going through persecution and tribulation just like you. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something that every person in life knows what it's like to do the right thing and end up losing. In the end. So let me ask you this question to clarify that. So there's there's sometimes when we go through suffering that's because it's unjustly given uh, put upon us. Mm -hmm. You know, some circumstance that I didn't create, and kind of like John, like he didn't voluntarily go to Patmos, but he's there. And there's another situation where, I mean, you're the idiot, <laughs> you made the mistake, and you're in the conundrum that you're at, yes. and then you're suffering. Um, how do we differentiate the two, and how does Jesus? Uh, comfort us. Is there a difference between the two? Is there no? I mean, how how do we differentiate those two yeah. situations, Kelly? I think um, the first thing is there's not really a formulaic answer, and it comes down to having a relationship with Jesus. Um, because we'll know, you know, once we know Him, we know what's expected of us, and we know what God wants us to do in certain situations. We'll know if we like, oh yeah, that that was our bad. So I'm thinking about like King David and Bathsheba. Okay. He knew that that was a bad choice. Yeah. Mm. Um, bad things happened. Yeah. <laughs> yes, bad things happened. Um, but he repented fully and, you know, he asked God to be with him. But he still suffered lots of consequences because of that terrible
terrible decision. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't like, well, God hates me, so I'm going like, to give up this whole God thing and just live my mm-hmm. life. But he still repented and came back to God, suffered the consequences, but said, even in these consequences, God is still my comfort mm-hmm. because God doesn't hate me because I sinned. He, like, he's like, that was bad. I forgive you your consequences are still going to happen, but it's like, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, like a little, when a little kid gets hurt or they do something wrong and their mom's mad at them, but they'll still run to their mom for like a hug. I don't know, maybe I'm the only person yes. that does that. No, okay. it's true. <laughs> um, like, even though like God is like, well, you shouldn't have done that, but because your mom still loves you, your mom's like, you're mm-hmm. no longer my daughter because you're a terrible person. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that, but come here. <laughs> and you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, a quote from uh, my dad where he, he used to say, Experience is the best teacher, but a fool learns by no other means. Mm -hmm. And you kind of go through this situation that you don't want to always have to touch the fire to know that it's hot. You don't want to always have to suffer to recognize the lesson you need to learn. There's certain things you can learn from other people's mistakes. And I think when we're separating me suffering for Christ and me suffering because of my own decisions, there's so many things that God has given to us in the Bible and the examples of other patriarchs and prophets and people in the Bible and people in our own personal lives, you're like, man, that was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. But then there's other times where you're like, I'm just trying to be faithful, like Job. I'm just trying to serve God. And all of a sudden, things come out of the blue, right? There's almost a suddenness to them because you don't anticipate being faithful to God and suffering. That's just not something so you both anticipate. Both of you are bringing a point that's very sobering. And in some ways, it puts a, it pours, pours cold water on... I forgot what the idiom is, but it's, it's, it just messes up people, people up. It's, it's, it's cold water. <laughs> yeah, it's like sobering um, to, to a drunk, yeah, cold water drunk person. Okay, is that what it is? I don't know what's your, anyway, I don't know where you're going. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> God doesn't remove the consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. No. He doesn't. Not at all. Of a bad decision. Of a yeah. bad decision. But even of a right decision can also have bad consequences, like but John. The, but you're also saying that in the midst of that consequence and the suffering through it, God also gives more strength and grace mm-hmm. to endure through it. Because his goal is to bring you back to himself. Like, when you look at your children, right, if my son is misbehaving, I actually spend more time talking to my son. It's kind of a weird thing where you're kind of like, you're playing by yourself, everything's fine, nobody's fighting, and then when someone fights or hits or bites or whatever, you're kind of like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, you have to pull them aside, you give them very focused attention, like, hey, what's going on, why do you feel like you have to do this? And I feel like that's kind of the nature of God's consequences. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's trying to bring you back, get your attention, and see as Lewis said it best, right, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Mm -hmm. So it's like if, you know, in Jamaica we say, if you can't hear, you can feel. So. You can't hear me talking to you, telling you not to do that. Well, go ahead and touch it. You can feel. Okay. Do that. It calls uh, you God back. God has a Jamaican accent. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll say, add on to that. I think you also need to differentiate between um, God's judgment and just natural consequences. Okay. Um, because sometimes, so it's like, say, I smoke a lot. God gave me cancer. No, smoking causes cancer. Right. Like, that's what happens, naturally. Mm. Um, and so, but God isn't like, oh, you're going to smoke and I'm going to let you do that, but I'm going to take away cancer from you because I want you to continue in your terrible decisions. Right. Like, God is even using the natural consequences of this world to be like, this is why I told you not to do that, but when you're ready, like, I'm here, so... Let me so know. God intervenes always for the, the sake of righteousness, never to enable us more in more sin. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, oh, you're yeah. suffering. Let me help you suffer more by right. taking away the consequences. But we get, we get confused because sin is pleasurable to us sometimes or bad decisions. So we're confused. But God is like, you're so satisfied with this. I want to take you here. Right. So I'm not going, like, I'm willing to 
to sacrifice my reputation in order for you to see what is truly beautiful and not just taste the ashes that you like so much. I love that point. I love that point. He's willing to risk his reputation mm -hmm. for that. Let's move on forward if we can, and we're going to verse, <laughs> verse 10. Verse 10 is, there's, a, there's an interesting element there, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And then here Jesus speaks. What, what, what is this Lord's day? There's a lot of confusion about this point. And Jared, help us out. Can you clarify this verse for us? Yeah, the Lord's day, according to scripture, is the seventh day Sabbath. Okay, so Jesus, there's two accounts, one in Mark chapter two and one in Matthew chapter 12. Okay. Um, and in both of them, Jesus says that the son of man, referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath day. If there's one day out of seven, that Jesus claims it's the seventh day Sabbath. And it's on this day that uh, he chooses to show up. You know, John's all alone in his exile and he shows up and brings his presence and communes and communicates with John on this special day, which he set apart and sanctified all the way back in mm -hmm. Genesis chapter two, verse one. Mm -hmm. And we see later on verse, verse 11, 12, all the way to verse 20, that Jesus is now revealing himself. He's reading to John on this island in a special garb, and he's wearing all this really fancy stuff. And if we don't know Genesis through Jude, we don't know what this passage is about. So find out after the break. Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. We've been spending some time in the book of Revelation, especially chapter 1. And in this first chapter, guys, I mean, there's so much in here. I mean, you have the spirit of prophecy, you have salvation, you have the second coming, you have the Sabbath mentioned that we talked about before the break. Mm -hmm. In verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Thank you, Jared. You just completely elucidated that this is not Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Friday or, you know, no, no. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's Sabbath. This is clear throughout scripture. You have all these foundational uh, beliefs just really baked into chapter one. Um, let's move on to verse uh, 11, 12 onwards. And you see here, Jesus is revealing himself. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And then he says, write these things and send it to the seven churches. And verse 12, Jerry, can you read verse 12 um, until you get tired? <clears throat> then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Okay, verse 15, we'll go to Sebastian. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And verse 18, Cal. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. 
the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the gold, seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Okay, so I feel like up to this point we, we, we're, we're understanding John, he's on the island or he's in Revelation and then he sees this vision and they're like, whoa. Yeah, I mean now it's just... This is, a, this is a crazy vision. We've established in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, this is from God the Father. This isn't John having some bad pizza late at night and he's having a weird <laughs> dream. This is, this is legit. And from Genesis through Jude, this, this makes sense. So, Jared, what's going on? What's the background context of this vision? So, on the Sabbath, God draws near. Mm -hmm. And he does that in a very real way here uh, to John, revealing himself to him. John's alone and he appears and enters in, not just to commune with him, but to reveal to him the rest of this book. Mm -hmm. Everything else is written is what Jesus personally communicated uh, here and through his angel yes. uh, to John, his disciple. He sees Jesus here. Um, and this isn't normally how we think of Jesus, right? Right. White hair, you know, it describes his There's arms. Nothing wrong with white hair. White hair legs is, is, is being very... Like, it's actually a lot wrong with it, Trying to be like Jesus. With <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, the, 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 the eyes is a flame yes. of fire. Yes. His legs are like burnished bronze. So basically, I, I see it as John's way of communicating that here he is in his uh, unveiled glory. glory. Right, mm, coming from heaven, supernatural. exactly, yeah. and and I think that John was on the mountain with Jesus when he was transfigured before. He's right. seen a little picture of this in the mm. past, but here Jesus comes again, and I'd like to think that John recognized his Lord because he bows himself down and, and mm. prostrates himself before Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I also think you see the fact that he's clothed down in verse 13. It says, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden bend. And I think before you get into the supernatural pieces of what's kind of describing to Christ to make him kind of bigger than life, I think you also get into the sanctuary language of in that Old Testament, the Jewish culture of the priest going in to minister yes. and to make sure these lamps have oil and to keep them lit, always yes. lit you know, 24 hours a day. So I think it's also picturing Jesus in his high priestly role of going there on behalf of his people. So it's almost as if he's keeping his promise. He's like, I've gone in on your behalf, John, and now I'm coming back. And so the idea of Jesus being among the lampstands, you know, which we're gonna get into the fact that that represents the seven churches, that's like Christ is there in the midst of it, ministering to his church, regardless of what condition it is. Well, there's cool things. Well. <clears throat> Excuse me, in verse 20, the Bible actually actually clarifies there, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So yep. we don't have to spend time and kind of decipher what's going on. The Bible is very clear and right. it identifies what's going on. But I think uh, one step further, what Sebastian, you're emphasizing is here, that the clothes that Jesus is wearing indicates what's going on. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, it just seems like, oh, this is Jesus and we can pass over it. But I remember one time we went to Vancouver, Canada, and we were in downtown Vancouver at some, some, some hotel, and there was a convention going on. And so we went out to get some, some Korean tacos, kimchi tacos, fusion, awesome, awesome food. Sounds kind of good, actually. And it was, it was like really plug. high on, on, uh, on Yelp. And then there was a, there was a, I don't know what it's called, but a comic convention or Comic-Con. Co comic -Con. It wasn't Comic-Con, but something, okay. something like that, Sebastian. Okay. That, that I, anyway. um, and then people wore all, wore all these clothes. 
And I'm so far removed from the pop culture that's popular now. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, I could recognize some of the superheroes that are like very popular, but there's others I like no idea, <laughs> not even the faintest clue of what what world they're from. Yeah. But the clothes revealed what context they're coming from. It's it's the clothes are a, a an indicator. This is the context that I'm coming from. This is there's meaning attached to it. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the invincibility of the of the pentagonal S, or whether it's the you know you know surreptitious you know black knight, whatever. I mean, there's all these connotations to it. And here with 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 uh, with Jesus, I mean, he's wearing priestly clothes here. Yes. And he's now a mix amongst the seven candlesticks. So this is holy place language, holy place environment, holy place context. Yes. And I love it. I love verse 13. The first couple words there, verse 13. And in the midst of the seven, seven lampstands. So we place out seven, seven, seven lampstands with churches that Jesus is in the midst of these churches. Yes. We're gonna study those seven churches, but here Jesus is saying, look, no matter if whether you're on an island, Patmos, all by yourself, or whether you're in a, an apostate church, or whether you're in Laodicea, Jesus is in the midst of all of us. And I think that's, that's the context of the comfort that John needs to hear. Amen. And I think when you look at verse 19, it goes to show you that even what he's doing among the churches is not something that's time bound mm. because it says that write the things which you have seen, the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So you almost get this sense that Jesus is involved in every time period of your life. Mm -hmm. Like you may come to the present when I was converted to Christianity and not recognize looking back that Jesus was actually involved in ministering to me at that time. Mm -hmm. And now you're looking to the future. So there's a sense of present comfort, you know, a past kind of reflection, and then a future hope of the fact that, yeah, these things are happening in these churches may not be new under the sun, mm -hmm. but they're also giving you comfort in the fact that, hey, in the future, he's always going to be in the midst of the churches mm -hmm. ministering to them. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. important because all of these churches, these seven churches are literal local churches in Asia Minor. All of these Greco-Roman cities with churches, you know, really existed. They were real yeah. letters and real counsel to real people in real situations. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's this timelessness here yes. that transcends into the history and the future of the church and even to my life as a member of the church and where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. So this uh, this book is not only in the past, it's not in the future, but there, I love that word timelessness. It's just going all throughout history, all throughout our time and all of our experiences that can relate to every stage of our lives. Um, I love the fact that, that Jesus here is wearing priestly clothes in the sense that, that prophets in the Old Testament represented God to the people, mm -hmm. but priests represented the people to back God. to God. Yeah. And here he's saying, look, God the Father, these churches, I got them. Hmm. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm covering them. And, and he's got some specific stuff to say to them. Uh, but, yeah, Callie, what's, what else is going on in, in this passage that, that uh, um, really look, strikes you? Looking at verse 17. Verse so 17. after John sees all these descriptions of Jesus, and I also see it like he's like, I don't even know how to say it. It's just sound like many waters. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to find a description for you to show right. what I'm experiencing. And after that, so when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And it's just the, 
don't know what the word is. Uh, um, nice. No. <laughs> the tension or the it's oh, okay. the seeming oxymoron or paradox of Jesus. Okay. Of he is he's amazing. He has this voice of like many waters. He's got like all these these crazy descriptions of him. But yeah. then when someone is like, ah, I can't take it, he puts his hand upon them yeah. and says, Do not be afraid. Yeah. Um, and it's just Jesus is so like he has the privilege like he can be very high up but he's just so like he just comes down to us and, and I think I that's like the beauty that. of <laughs> that is a cool it's like the beauty of the paradox of the fact that it only adds the the comforting act as even more significant mm -hmm. right because he could have crushed you right he I mean, could have just have. commanded you oh, into complete <laughs> abject suppression it's like yeah my, my countenance is like the sun I mean, up in your face, you're thinking, man, someone's countenance is like the sun and their eyes are like flaming fire. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'd fall as a dead man too. <laughs> but then for him to reach his hand down in the midst of all that power and yet exercise such gentleness with his servant and to say, hey, you know, it's not like he just like touched him. The Bible's like he put his right hand upon him. Mm -hmm. Like he was there to comfort him and to say, listen, I know I can't hold back all this glory to prevent this reaction, mm -hmm. but I can also comfort you and say, hey, it's okay, stand on your feet. Um, and to recognize that he's coming bringing good news. So there's also this, this combination of huge, enormous holiness that commands a certain awe and reverence, but that's also very comforting and near and personal. Mm -hmm. um, another aspect Ellie. that comes out of this too is, you know, sometimes we just ask, um, so God, I want to hear your voice more. God, I want you to show me more of yourself. And he does sometimes. Other times, like, I don't think you can handle it. <laughs> like, you're not ready for all that. Yeah. Um, and so even, like, how Jesus deals with us in a progressive way throughout our life, mm -hmm. that is the mercy of God. Mm -hmm. Because if he showed up with his face, like, like fire all the time, I think we'd have a hard time. <laughs> I just remember, like, one time uh, my son was playing in the mud, you know, and I come home from work, and he's just so wanting to see me. Right, and he's just like daddy, and he's just like you know grabbing onto oh. me with all of his mud, and I was just, I was like, oh, like I'm wearing oh, a yeah. suit, and like, <laughs> oh, do you know how expensive this? And my all, all, the whole time I was like, but you know, this is a love of a son. How much is money? But the whole time, this is a lot of money. And there's a dry cleaning and this whatever, and then you kind of see that rawness with Jesus. Like in his holiness, he wants to embrace all of humanity, mm -hmm. but he can't because, I mean, as, as sinful as humanity is, humanity would just evaporate in the presence of holiness. Yeah. So you see this, this mitigated, um, these, these stages of the sanctuary, I and mean, all these things that the Bible is packed in there is showing us how God shows his, his raw love to us in a mitigated way so that doesn't kill us but reveals yeah. himself. It's like yeah. how can I get closer to them? What do yeah. I need to do to get closer to That's them? That's what the incarnation yeah. really is all about is Jesus drawing near, mm. right? And, mm. and even actually, even when he was a human being, he came and, and when he called Peter, Peter fell on his face. Yes. He shows up to Daniel, Daniel falls on his face. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately like that's, that's a part of our experience too. Mm. And especially when he comes again to think of us prostrating ourselves before him and, and hearing that voice, well done, that mm -hmm. good people, sort of mm. feeling, feeling that hand Amen. and knowing by faith that uh, we're going to have that experience yeah. too. We don't have to be afraid. Yeah. I mean, after this, this, this study, I want to have more of a love, a more of a raw experience with Jesus. And I know that Jesus has already revealed himself in this book of Revelation to us. And uh, he wants to have a very close, intimate relationship with all of us. Hopefully you've been inspired. Hopefully you have that desire to get closer and then just embrace him with all the dirt that you have on your body. Thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode. Find out next episode as we look at the seven churches. God bless you.
You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jared Thomas, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by the Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag Inverse Bible. Until next time, this is Inverse.